Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 9th of September 2019. I'm still breathing. I'm going to talk about doing grain for a second, actually, just to, just to say we've got to our year-end figures the, for year-ending 30th of June 2019, and uh, we're now confident enough to say that we've made a, a healthy little profit. So just all my competitors out there, we're here for another year, okay? We're feeling buoyant. I've just dished out a load of bonuses, because I can, because I'm prima donna, little company, have some money, boys, we've made it. Let's share it. And yeah, we're happily over 200k profit, which doesn't sound much, but you know, for us, it's a, it's a really good thing. Everyone's been paid, and we're feeling good about the future. Our company is growing. We've provided the best service on harvest movement of malting barley, and the kindest service on intake on some of the specs. So, yep, I expect to be here next year and, uh, and fighting fit. So, there. After that little bit of uh, ego trip, I shall now go on to the market. What should we talk about first? I think feed barley has reached uh, the dizzying heights of 113x for spot movement. We have some excitement happening in Parliament at the moment, and I think the perceived, uh, or the perception is, that we will have an extension to Brexit. We don't know what Boris is going to do next, and we don't know what the opposition can do, but between the, the lot of them, they are falling out mercilessly. And so Europe might take pity, give us an extra three months to fight some more, with the vain hope that we might remain, I guess. But the point is, for the, for the cereals industry, an extra three months' worth of export, especially including the critical November-December period, would be really a major benefit. So our market has rallied £4.50, £5 a tonne on that news, really. The vote this week turned the market around. Hit contract low on Monday, and from then on, we've been going upwards. Looks pretty firm this morning. Probably take a bit of a breather, but um, as we start a new week, I think we're going to be around the levels of 113 extra feed barley, and the futures on November wheat is 134, which gives an ex-farm Norfolk value of 127. That being said, obviously politics is a very fickle creature at the moment and the next trick could turn the market on its head. The pound seems to be firming. So the dynamic for oilseed rate prices, um, despite the fact that Matty futures are hitting new highs, our prices come off a diddy bit due to the stronger currency. So November X farm currently 335 before bonus. If you're trading feed beans, um, we've got a value now. There's been a boat or two traded and therefore 175 X farm for October. There is a very large amount of feed beans and not very many human consumption, as we've previously mentioned. Malting barley is oversupplied and there are going to be premiums being paid for certain specs, but there's a whole load of that crop that farmers believe is a malting product that will receive a feed price for it. If we get this extension on exports for three months, then possibly we can ram a whole load more malting barley out of the country uh, and ram a load more feed barley out of the country for what it's worth and then obviously a whole load more feed wheat and the whole dynamic could change quite dramatically. The guesstimate of exports for feed barley up to the end of October is half a million tonnes. 
and for Malting Valley is up to 150,000 tonnes, which is significant. If we get the extension, obviously there will be an opportunity for lots more of it to go. The same applies to wheat. That's what the rally is all about, but the potential to shift half a million tonnes in a month has been achieved many times in the past, so given that, the extra million tonne surplus we still have after the exports we've already got in the books up to the end of October, technically we should be able to see it gone as long as we can find buyers for our product. So it's kind of very good news, this delay, if we do in fact get a delay, unless of course you're an extreme right-wing believing person who just wants us to leave and shut up the borders. But at this point, from a commercial farmer better price perspective an extension would be really healthy so that's how we start this week let's see what boris and crew have done thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours crush foods produces a unique range of single variety cold pressed rapeseed oils all their seed is grown here in norfolk they only press a single variety for its taste and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This morning, I have got with me the living legend that is Jeff Van Portfleet, farmer, ex-rugby player uh, and superstar, and Ian Webster. So, good morning, Jeff. Morning, Andrew. Morning, Webby. Morning. So, we're going to start with the rugby stuff, I think, Jeff, because you've made the transition from being a premiership rugby player to being a farmer. And uh, which is the best profession? Um, well, I'd have to say farming now, but no, up until um, mid twenties, you know, definitely rugby. I love my uh, my time playing for Saracens. It would have been a professional, but it was the sort of the end of the the amateur status. And um, but no, uh, some fantastic friends were forged, and some great memories. You talk about great friends, Jeff. I remember we went to go and watch a testimonial game down at Sarries probably a couple of years ago, and there was a Norfolk contingent that went down on a bus. I think we cracked into the beers at about 10 o'clock to go and watch you play. And uh, it was a very cool moment where I saw you rubbing shoulders with uh, the legendary Richard Hill. Hilly was my arch enemy for a period of six weeks when we sort of fought it out playing left and right to decide who was going to get the um, to get the nod to play the regular slot in the first team and um, as you know he went on and he actually had the better of me and went on to be you know to have the success that he's had it just shows you that you can get past most things. I did also quite like though it's it shows the friendships and the bonds you get out of rugby because you two I probably haven't seen loads of each other over the years but look thick as thieves having a beer after that game. Quite right. It's also the names that you get given and then you know the, the name that was given to me was uh, which always caused a lot of amusement bearing in mind that I ended up back in Norfolk was um, the fact that it's Saracens they call me village not because of uh, being the village idiot (laughs) (laughs) that's what they told you Uh, yeah (laughs) it was because the only um relationship they had with uh, the country was uh, a viz magazine and so they always used to talk about the viz magazine whenever i got on the uh, farmer palmer and coming from the village and yeah and this sort of thing as i got on the bus having traveled three hours to go then see them all It's, it's certainly it's certainly stuck isn't it so having stopped playing down in London, you, you came back and, and uh, starred for North Walsham for a few years and that you were then able to integrate into the farming scene. It wasn't as high profile rugby, 
but it was the opportunity to do both things that you loved. How has it been, you know, when you first came back, Dad was very much in charge. The integration of that, how did it work? It was difficult at the, at the time because, um, you know, Dad was, you know, as most people know him in the area, he's very, he's very hands-on farmer type, as that generation are. And so he, he did find it difficult. But I think probably as much as anything, he was keen for me to integrate into the business. But his health actually took a dip at the time. And he actually suffered a, um, a stroke out in South Africa, which meant that he had to um, calm down quite considerably. And that, to be fair, helped, um, helped me actually come into the business quicker than what um, mm. I was originally planning. I remember discussing with Bill his his calming down period. I said, what, what do you do now then to, you know, to take it easy? And he said, well, I, I get up and I, and I walk across the potato field <laughs> <laughs> and I see how the crop's coming on. Yeah. I thought, yeah, Bill is, is a farmer. Cut him in half, cut him yeah. in quarters, farmer, farmer, farmer. There's nothing else there, is there? You're now managing a business that, that let's, let's talk about your business specifically because it is unique in its structure, isn't it? I mean, Stratton Steelers Estates was was formed back in uh, well, 1945, and it was a merging of two families. It was um, father's uh, mother's side, which was the Burroughs family. Basically, his grandfather, Burroughs, was an aircraft entrepreneur who owned the Gloucester Aircraft Company, which mm-hmm. built Lancasters and um, Hurricanes in the war. And he always believed that the public would need food, and so he invested in, in land and bought initially the Beaches farm at Stratton Strawless. And then his daughter married a Van Portfleet, and the Van Portfleets were over here as uh, as managers who were sort of influential with another Dutch family, helped set up the British... Uh, the Ken Engels? Ken Engels, that's it, yeah, to help set up the um, sugar Can- beet factory, Cantley. And so... That's how it was formed, and because of that, we are all family business, but we have uh, shareholdings from two different sides of the families, the Burroughs family and the Van Portfleet's family, which is not actually, you know, you know very common knowledge within the local farming fraternity. But it, the, the fact is you have, um, you know, shareholders. You haven't kept them with the eldest son. It's gone to generations of people holding shares as an actual shareholding in a business, and... So you're, you're now split with lots and lots of people who've got an interest in what you're doing. Uh, that's correct. We have two meetings a year. One is in December to sort of go through a projected uh, scenario of what we believe the company will make. And one in July when we actually turn around and say and go through the accounts and show what we have made. There is some very good articles attached to the business which covers the, the structure of how shares can be moved on and et cetera, et cetera. But we basically pay out 30% of the profit to the shareholders as a dividend. 30% is left in the business for cash flow. And then 30% or 35%, if you like, is left in the business for investment. And that is the structure of it. Such is that we haven't had any movement of shares because people seem to be reasonably happy with how they how the structure is and the level of returns that they're getting but it, it gives you i mean the accountability is the key isn't it you, lots of people haven't got anyone to be accountable to you have to stand up at two meetings and say this is what we're doing and this is how much i think we're going to make from it which must lead to people who are no longer involved in agriculture asking you questions that are possibly a tad dim, if you like, then you've got to explain why the returns aren't as high as investing that money in something else. Is it? Yeah, no, that's correct. And um, we are quite a diverse business. In, in order to, to maintain the returns, we do invest outside the business to try and keep the level of return up for the uh, for the shareholders. 
And I think one key thing is the fact is that they do not get caught up in the business. They very much leave it to me to manage the business. They just come to those two meetings a year, which makes it work. You know, you wouldn't want X amount of shareholders every week questioning you, what you're doing, why are you harvesting now, why, why aren't you growing this, why, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But as long as the returns are there, they're supportive. I mean, some of your wisest investments, like the shares you bought in Doing Grain, I can report are going to pay a dividend this year, Jeff. I'm very pleased to hear it. Yeah, no, I'm not as pleased as I am, but yeah, <laughs> we've just, you know, we, we haven't been audited yet to, to, to clarify it. But yes, I can report that there is a, a dividend coming for your very wise shares. Yeah, so back to your key job. Obviously, the land you own and the land you, that, that you have in, in hand, you've got contract farming arrangements. You know, where do you see the future of that? Contract farming, I still believe, is going to play a big part in our business. You know, we've invested in machinery, we've invested in staff to make sure that the business is on solid foundations for that. Because, you know, where the margins foreseeably are going to be cut, I think, and therefore, you know, you need to have scale, you need to have efficiencies of scale in order to carry out these operations. And, you know, the viability of farm size, I don't want to be drawn on exact farm sizes, but kind of makes it more unviable the smaller you are and I think you also with the inheritance tax rules etc you know you are going to have entrepreneurs big successful businesses buying up land for tax reasons and they and they are going to need people to farm it for them yeah absolutely you've invested in storage your motivated staff you're able to cope with whatever harvest throws I mean this year when it was showing rain everywhere you were still going or able to keep going which was you know you finished earlier than than lots because of the money you spent which was impressive. Yeah, correct. I mean, normally they, you know, they say you don't want to be the first finishing because it means you've got a small harvest. But no, we've had a we've had a good harvest. I'm pleased with the results, and yeah, we do invest in our buildings and in the infrastructure to make sure that we can cope with all sorts of different elements of. And we were, you know, we've got good quality, you know, and it meant that we were getting at the spring barley before the rains. We probably started fractionally earlier than other people as well. I remember popping in and saying to Webby that we'd cleared off, cleared four hundred acres in two and a half days with uh, the winter barley and people were saying it it wasn't fit but anyway it's in the store it's cleared and yeah we've got quite a lot of shed space because of potato stores etc and the infrastructure was able to and along with lorries I think the other, that's the other thing is it, it, you know we can talk about storage space but we do run our own lorry and when you look at the margins of a lorry they're very tight it's the availability of having you know, a truck there to be able to move it. And, you know, you were able to um, to assist in that. Your opening hours are certainly slightly more desirable than quite a few other sites as well. That's a brilliant plug there, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> just talking about your lorry, that's just a really good point. This might be unfair on a few, but you seem to have a very efficient use of your lorry. Not very often that Steve, your driver, is quiet, is he? I mean, he now goes on to Beans, doesn't he? Then he goes on to the beat season. He's doing lots of contract work for yourselves and various other farmers. A lot of lorries you see now are parked up in the shed for a good part of the year, aren't they? Is that a fair comment? Yeah, it's difficult to say and, and talk about other people's setups, but to have your wheels sat still, you know, is you know, it doesn't work. You're losing money. So if the, if the wheels are turning, yes, you've got to have the right rate per ton in order to you need five hundred pound a day, you know, minimum in order to be able we to. We do make... have your old man. I've got to say, he's got a very strong bargaining power, actually. <laughs> He's constantly haggling us for his rates. Yeah. Very strong at that. Yeah, I mean, Dad's job spec is, you know, one of them does include driving the lorry. Oh, not driving the lorry, running the lorry business. So he is uh, to be commended for that as well. Is he, is he on a bonus scheme? <laughs> it feels like it. <laughs> Back 
to the, your point about getting on with harvest, there was a Sunday when you phoned me. And uh, as luck would have it, I was actually at the Cantley site doing something, trying to pretend I worked all the time. But I was actually, as luck would have it, that moment with, with one of the guys, Glenn, over there at Cantley. And you were the first person to tell us about the size of the spring barley crop, because you said, even I can't cope with this. You, I mean, your shed space is, is phenomenal, but it was an enormous crop of barley, wasn't it? That June rainfall that came in mainly around about cereals time, you know, we ended up with 97 that month, I think. And, um, you know, absolutely came at the fantastic time for spring barley. And I won't be alone, but, you know, there'll be people will be will average nine and a half, ten tonne a hectare of spring barley, which is fantastic. When you budget on eights or seven and a half, eights, whatever, and then you're getting nine and a half, tens, you know, you've, um, yeah. There's an inevitable consequence of that, which we're all discovering. I mean, we're frantically telling everyone that, that Molling Barley is on its backside. And, of course, I'm a merchant talking it down, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out the sums if there's that much, 20% extra barley. There's too much of it. Mm. That's absolutely right. We were able to move our forward contract forward and, and get, it, get it away. But um, well, for, yeah. for us, for that, that for, you know, for what it's worth, if anyone has, a, have a, has an insight about a crop at any point in time, don't not phone me up about it because it, it, it enabled us to see what was about to hit us and it, it enabled us to actually make plans to cope with what effectively was a 20% increase in the stuff we were committed to storing and we had to relocate wheat and other things to make it. it that, that, if we hadn't had a bit of pre-warning, well, we would have sunk a couple of times. So as the contract farming business, and I have to be really nice to you because obviously my little house is surrounded by a farm that you that you actually look after, and I'd like to thank you for personally for cutting all my hedges like you do, Jeffrey. <laughs> no, he doesn't actually, just for the record. <laughs> if, if John is listening to this, he doesn't cut my hedges, but there's a little hint there. Let's move on to diversification. You've made investments in, in wise companies. What, what other things are you, are you doing? We try and you know, sweat our assets you know, as, as much as we can. The one at the moment is, is probably, in most cases, quite obvious, is to sort of try and utilise your farm buildings. As you grow structurally, you know, it becomes that the necessity to sort of centralise storage and around way bridges and around where most of your staff live. Our business was built on the fact that we had three individual farms, that we still have three individual owned, owned farms, but those buildings are, you can't build on every, every farm you have to set your stall out and build, you know, where the way bridges are, etc. So Meadows Farm at Felmingham has become, the buildings there have become um, not efficient uh, corn storage buildings and in some cases aren't even that. So we've got planning permission to convert one barn into two houses there, which we'll start in November, you know, to work around the bats. Do you lo- manage that project yourself? No, wherever we've tried to, I don't want to, and our core business is agriculture, so I will still stay very much in charge of that. But Sarah, my wife, is going to look after that, and she's going to project manage that. Um, so it's, it's in-house, that's the point. Correct, the, yeah. the business works as a unit, and in step Sarah. Yeah. So that's uh, a relief, because it'll be really tasteful with her doing it, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> We're also investigating, uh, one of the other things that, you know, I didn't sort of highlight before. So on the board of directors, if you like, or on the shareholders table, we have brought in an outside director who's um, also gives a little bit of support to either what I'm saying or is a sort of uh, talking point to, to some of the other directors to get a neutral opinion. It was James Brook from Bidwells, and he has uh, suggested that we look also at other 
uh, investments. And so I've been looking at a commercial business park outside Norwich and also looking at a property company um, to buy shares in uh, outside. So, yes, we are looking outside the box. Mm-hmm. We know a good property company, don't we, Webby? Anyway, that, well, we'll, that's while we're talking. Let's open the beers as well, shall we? Because uh, I'll just I'll just read out what we're gonna what we're gonna have a crack at. This is the terrible bit of the thing, Jeff. We have to drink beer. It's Hogsback Brewery Company uh, from Tongham. Yeah, Montezuma's chocolate lager. So we're we're lager drinkers today. Chocolate lager drinkers. So Webby, you're in charge, making all the all the right noises. And you have to be discerning, Jeff, Jeffrey. If you don't like it, you have to say. That's not very nice. Or if you do like it, well, it doesn't look very chocolate, does it? No, it looks very, very light. Right. Let's taste the beer right now. No, I'm not, <laughs> not a fan of that one. I've got to say I can taste the chocolate, but that's terrible. It's got an aftertaste of uh, soap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we don't like that. Sorry. No, no, that's not a, not it's a, a very not a fan. trendy bottle, but that's where it ends. So even Jeff, having probably drunk some pretty terrible things in your rugby days, it's uh, yeah, doesn't say a lot, does it? No, it doesn't. No, that's quite a. Um, as you say, I think yeah, it's, it's almost like well, not, not, not licorice, but there is a sort of funny, sweet, horrible. Yeah, not mm. they're not 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 liking it at all. We have history repeating itself, don't we? We have got the boy who's now got an under eighteen. Jack, the son, has got an under eighteen's cap. Just following his day with doing grain. <laughs> major influence on his rugby career no it, it, so you must be immensely proud of him in, in where he's at at the moment yeah I mean very proud of Jack um, well and my daughter as well but obviously Jack's career in, in rugby has, has, has grown and um, you know having you know followed the Leicester Tigers Academy he then got a, a contract in June to start a professional career with the Tigers and on the back of having five caps for England under 18s that's fantastic isn't it you couldn't want for anything better in, in you know I mean I when I finished playing rugby my goal was that I wanted him to to understand and see me play rugby mm-hmm. and um, he, he did that my other ambition was I was going to have a game with him that obviously soon drifted away but no he's he's living a dream really I mean he's um, obviously with the Tigers and um, enjoying the living uh, down in Leicester and we'll see what happens when the actual games kick off but you know Leicester obviously on the back of a, a disappointing season last season have taken on 10 people into the from the academy into the senior squad and so they're investing in their in into their system which is good to see. That's an exciting time for him. But he does seem like a chip off the old block, certainly with rugby. What about farming then? Has he got farming in his veins? He does He does enjoy the farming and he has deferred to his uh, place from uh, Newcastle to study agribusiness. He is always asking questions about the farm and it's quite nice that you know he does you know catch up uh, a drink or a chat with Tom Youngs as well where they discuss tractors and business uh, on the farming side um, down even in Leicester no, it's, uh, it's great to see I mean Leicester does seem a very family orientated club and there's an, a great Norfolk following so it's uh, yeah, nice see he's in a great place there yeah, very much so and um, so yeah no we, Sarah and I are both very proud of him and um, just wish wish him all the best hopefully it will be a, an injury free time he has yeah, well, and, and with, with the, you know, Alstom's other two favourite sons, still professionals at Leicester, we need the next generation to have someone to support. We need a Norfolk superstar rugby player, so let's hope he makes it. Let's hope it, you know, it goes right the way to the uh, World Cup final and lifting the trophy. That'd be great, Jack. Yeah. No, no pressure, lad. <laughs> so, Geoffrey, you know, we've come in, harvest is over, the autumn starts again, everybody's kind of, you know, 
stamping their feet, scratching around. You know, what happens next? Are we, are we have we got to wait till it really rains properly before we do anything? Or I mean, there is moisture there. I mean, I think the, the rapes have have uh, been very thankful for the uh, for the eight mil or locally that was had um, uh, two days ago. We are busy getting land prepped. That eight mil uh, two days ago has helped in uh, preparing the land for that. We are definitely very much going to sit on our hands. We're not going to do anything next week because, um, you know, without the seed dressings that we um, now, um, we don't want to be planting too early. Forecast so, is dry, isn't it? It is a long, long-term, long well, the last time I looked at it, there's a high coming off the Atlantic, which looks like it might sit there for a, a little while, which... which it, doesn't really need at the moment. The beet looks sick, don't they? I mean, eight mil might have perked them up for ten minutes, but it... no. I mean, underlyingly, we're sitting on huge soil moisture deficits. Yeah. Huge soil moisture deficits. You know, we're talking. Uh, I'm just talking about the sort of couple of inches at the top, really down below. There is no base, no, uh, no base at all, which is. Which is worrying uh, going forward. We well, from a trading perspective, which is obviously the, the, the underlying reason people listen to this is you know what's the feel in the marketplace and my my instinct is i'm not steaming into doing new crop i appreciate the prices look good and and whatever brexit does and the miseries that may or may not occur but the dynamic of the physical thing we actually trade it needs to have a good seed bed it needs to have a good autumn and if it's if it's not got enough moisture coming along regularly to keep it going it's going to struggle this autumn unless the weather radically changes, and there's no real sign of that yet. A lot of the success of the the, the, the last harvest, the 2019 harvest, was based on two things. One was uh, obviously the June rainfall, and the other one was the when there was the uh, the good establishment we yeah, had last year, the autumn. It was perfect. Wasn't it was it? absolutely perfect. If we don't have that, then we are, you know, we're not looking at a great harvest going forward. Yeah. Well, if, if if everyone is holding back on planting, I mean, it's, it's fine on on what they, you know, boys land as, as everybody else calls this area, workable soil after a few few hours. But places down, you know, south of Beckles, if you like, if they don't get it in before the point when it really starts raining, they miss the opportunity, don't they? So it's a really fine line. And if they they stick it in the ground too early and it has two weeks of complete baking heat, Indian summer. It can be disastrous, and we, we're kind of staring at that scenario. Uh, people have not really talked about that yet, but it's it's a concern in East Anglia, and I think that uh, that's that's the foremost thing on my mind at the moment. No, I, I agree. I mean, and um, the, the market will hopefully um, <laughs> react to it, but I, ca- I can't see that it, it was well, not certainly in the short term. Well, it's reacting to politics this week. It's had a yeah. five-pound rally on the basis of a load of shenanigans in, in, in uh, Parliament Square, but it... You know, a selling opportunity. Is it though? Well, yeah. <laughs> On we go. So <laughs> I think with that very happy note, I think we'll 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 sign up. We won't drink all of our beer for well, Webby's done his because he's <laughs> obviously <laughs> he's getting ready for tonight. So doing grain harvest uh, harvest supper tonight. So we tend to go to uh, a couple of tea rooms and have some scones and then um, and then go home early, ready to have a day at work tomorrow again that's what I, we do I, isn't it <laughs> i'd like to hear the outcome of the the evening's entertainments bearing in mind that i think webby has uh, got a bet running with the office that if they finish their first and second course he will down a pint um i've got, got to say though this, these are pretty phenomenally large main courses and i'm i convinced i'm pretty safe on this actually. recruiting sergeant starters and main course is an epic task but the boys at cantley are not going to pre-drink many beers to save space in no no there's a very clear rule it's four pints before the meal there's no dodging that four pints and no soup as a starter with that 
Gents, we'll have a great night tonight, won't we, Webby? And um, Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Webby. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 